I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Alex Bruce to my Steve Bruce. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I haven't actually spoke to you for a few days. Everything all right? Yeah, you've, you've been a busy man celebrating your birthday much much more than I have. You know, It's been quite a chilled week for me, I think. You've been very busy. Uh, you know, I've had the week off, so I thought I may as well make the most of it by avoiding contact with you as much as possible. Um, and now back to the championship action. It's all work and no play for with me sometimes. Um, <laughs> at least we've got loads of action to talk about this week, Justin. Jesus Christ. We had a round of games where the stakes were high, but the goal tally was low. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier, by the way. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, high stakes, low numbers of goals here. We only had <laughs> four goals from five games um, and there wasn't, there wasn't a, a high amount of quality, it's got to be said. But at the same time, as I say, there was a lot to talk about in terms of what these results actually mean for these teams mm. involved. Um, so we'll talk about that in the show this week, ladies and gentlemen. We'll go through all the games from the midweek uh, round and then talk about where those teams are left after these particular results. Talk about some of the news from the past few days in the Championship and then we'll finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. Before we jump right into the show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30, plus 10 free spins. UK mobile registrations only, terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. A gigantic game at the bottom of the table between Peterborough and Reading finished goalless. Um... I think, Justin, this was clearly a contest between two poor teams who were both massively lacking in confidence. Would you agree? That's, uh, yeah, that statement's nailed on. I think it was summed up perfectly by the Sky Sports um, ticker uh, commentating, not commentating on the game, but reporting on the game saying, um, this is not a good advert for the Sky Bet League One, is it? <laughs> and it that's what it felt like. It was a really poor game from, as you say, two teams who were lacking in confidence. And you could see that with some of the chances they had. Um, both sides had chances uh, a team in form would have absolutely scored. Um, I'm looking at the, the Peterborough header, uh, Frankie Kent, I think it was, and then the Lucas Shaw where he danced through. 
team a team in form would put those away. Players in form with confidence would put those away. Fortunately, they didn't, um, and we're left with a big nil nil. I think it was actually Josh Knight who had the header Josh Knight, at the end. But yeah. I can't really say there were many great chances in this game. It was a really, really drab affair, and really wasn't a good advert for the championship or League One, which is where both these teams could very well be heading with the way things are going at the moment. Uh, this game needed a bit of magic from somewhere, didn't it? But considering these two sides have picked up just a point between them in their last eight combined games, I think this was always going to be unlikely for that to happen. It was ultimately a six-pointer, wasn't it? And a draw doesn't really help anyone other than Derby and Barnsley. And Justin, if you could try and take your bias Derby hat off for a sec, would you say Derby are now in the driving seat to stay up out of those four teams currently occupying the bottom four? I don't think they are. I'm just, I'm looking at Reading squad and I'm just thinking you, it's, it's far too good um, to continue performing really, really badly, um, to be to be absolutely blunt. Um, they've got a very good starting eleven out now. You look at the team that started yesterday, Andy Yeardham and, and Baba Rahman at, at full-backs. You've got Drinkwater uh, and Andy Rinomota um, in in that midfield pivot. And then you've got Lucas Schau at front and Yaku Mete again. He's he's a he's, he's a very he's a very very good player to have back in your team, isn't he? He's you know he's not a squad player by any means. He's a, he's a starter, so I just feel that that starting eleven is just far too good to continue um, getting the results. It is. I don't know whether a change of manager will will bring um, more more out of them. I, I say I don't know that it, that will that will be the case. Um, but for me, I just think Reading is still in the driving seat based on the quality of players available to them compared to the likes of Peterborough and Derby and Barnsley. I disagree with you. I think Derby are definitely in the driving seat now. The issue before was always the points deduction, wasn't it? And now they're nearly on an even footing with those two teams. And considering Derby are, if you ignore the points deductions, where are they? They're just about a top-half side, aren't they? When you keep that in mind, you've got a top-half side against alongside two teams ignoring Barnsley who are just clearly relegation fadder at this point so aren't they relegation fodder I should say so I think Derby are definitely um, in the driving seat right now keep in mind Derby have got a very good team I think you're massively discounting them there when you've got the likes of Jason Knight, for example, who is one of the best young talents in the championship. Christian Bielik's back in the team now. He's a Premier League player in my eyes. Curtis Davis has been one of the best defenders in the championship this season. I think you can easily hold Derby's team alongside Reading's team. Um, And Reading have obviously got the massive downside that they're a team massively lacking in confidence right now. The manager is clearly out of ideas and needs sacking. Mm -hmm. Derby have got a lot of ticks against their name compared to the likes of Reading and Peterborough. Interestingly, I was having a look at who the bookies think is the favourite to stay up at the moment. They reckon Peterborough. So what do we know? <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't really get that. I, I don't understand how mm. Peterborough are the favourites to stay up out of the four teams who are down there. But uh, the bookies do often tend to be right, so maybe we'll be proven wrong. The big contest this weekend is Derby v Peterborough. Just in a, math, a mammoth game in the relegation battle, isn't it? But. Uh, Definitely want to keep an eye on heading into this weekend. On Monday night, at the opposite end of the table, there was a big game in the race for promotion and it ended goalless as well. West Brom at home to Blackburn, Steve Bruce's first home game. I watched this game live, Justin, and then when I was sat there making my notes for it afterwards, I had to rewatch the highlights because I could not remember a single thing that happened in this game. The two sides did have chances, but there wasn't a golden chance 
was there? Mm-hmm. There wasn't even a silver chance for that matter. <laughs> it was it, it was quite similar to the Peterborough Reading game in the way that there wasn't many good chances, but I'd say there was still a bit more quality in this game. Well, it's certainly more quality because both the teams are, are competing at the top end of the table. Obviously, West Brom I know dropped out of the playoffs, but they've got a squad that should be competing in the top two, and, and Blackburn are there competing to get into the top two. So certainly quality was there, but as you say. Just two teams that are probably a little bit out of form. I say a little bit out of form. West Brom massively out of form and, and um and Blackburn dipping or, or or in the middle of a dip at the moment. So it was always going to be a, a, a game where it's cliche but neither team wanted to lose. Same with um Peterborough and Reading, neither team wanted to lose it and Neil Nils not the worst result for, for West Brom and and Blackburn. I think Steve Bruce would have preferred the win to get his his reign up and running. I, I say prefer to win, every team wants to win, but um I think coming away you secretly say, okay, we'll take we'll take the point, we'll we'll take the clean sheet and we'll we'll go into the next game. And I said about Blackburn, it's important to reset, get defensively organised again and and go from there. And they were, they were they were they were good defensively and, and out of possession and I thought Blackburn um were very good from that very good from that from from that perspective as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a draw, it's a nil-nil draw, but probably not the worst result for, for either, either side. What have you made of West Brom so far under Steve Bruce, Justin? A loss and a draw in his first two games in charge? Um, Yeah, it's really difficult to say, really, because I think defensively they look better, but defensively I know they dipped massively over the last sort of six weeks under Ishmael, but I don't think... That's been a major problem. It's it's been putting chances away, and it's still that's that still is an issue. Um, and I'm just looking at the, the the starting eleven from the game defensively. Statistically, they were very very good, um, but going forwards again, just just lacking a little bit. But I think what Steve Bruce needs to identify is a very efficient system um, in terms of starting alignment, uh, uh, starting lineup, make that consistent, um, and then I think that the results and um, form will start to develop from there but they're running out of time I think that's the only thing there's not a lot of time left for West Brom that's it it feels to me like judging from the early signs of the Steve Bruce era it seems like this is going to be a slow burner and I'm not sure West Brom can afford for it to be a slow burner because you've got teams ahead of them right now with the likes of Forest, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United and a few others who are in around there who are in good form at the moment and if West Brom don't pull the finger out soon then those mm-hmm. teams are only going to strengthen their lead in the playoffs and West Brom may not find room by the time they get there if they do indeed get there so yeah I think it's one of them where Steve Bruce is obviously trying to um, get things turning around and it's going to take time for that to happen but if West Brom are serious about promotion this season then can they really afford for that to last as long as it looks like it may very well do Um but it is early early days. It's only two games mm-hmm. so far and they have been two tricky games, haven't they? Sheffield United and Blackburn. <laughs> Get a point from them um, isn't the worst of results, is it? Ben Brereton, Diaz limped off with an injury, but Blackburn say he should be all right to face Millwall this weekend, which is good news for them. Tony Mayberry's side are now winless in four. Haven't scored in that time either. What are you thinking with them at the moment, Justin? Uh, I'm not worried. Um, I'll, I'll go straight to the point there. I'm not worried. I think this performance was was a good performance. You've got to go to the Hawthorns and and frustrate West Brom because even in even if they are playing crap, even if they are out of form, West Brom will still be a dangerous side because they've got quality in the pitch. So making sure you're solid um, is the first is the first go. And um, and and Tony Mowbray's side were were that. Um, 
I think it's really important that they re-establish what I was saying probably uh, at the weekend and um, just now is that they need to re-establish sort of being defensively solid and building from the back and going from there. Um, and that's what they were here. And I think um, the results will, will start to develop from there. And that's what they did earlier on in the season. They they started um, not not poorly, but wasn't the Blackburn we saw sort of in the middle of the season. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, they start to build from the back. They get organised and, and then and the results start to come. And <clears throat> this point in the season is about grinding results out. And I think we'll see that from Blackburn over the next sort of three or four weeks. They'll start to grind results out and then they'll get back into the flow. And that's what I hopefully will we'll see from this Rovers side. I think the top two is quickly becoming out of reach, isn't it? Would you agree with that? Because they're now four points off Bournemouth. They've played two more games than them that's looking like it's unlikely at the moment, especially because Bournemouth seem to have found a bit of form all of a sudden as well. So I'd say that's unlikely at this point. I think the table's still looking good for them to secure a playoff place, but when you consider you've got a line of teams we were just talking about who are all in good form, Blackburn have got some tough games coming up as well. They're in a similar vein to West Brom for me, where they do need to pull the finger out soon, otherwise they will start to be caught up and may start to see themselves falling down the queue in terms of teams getting into the playoffs because it is very crowded around there isn't it um, and Blackburn if they continue to play like they have done the last few games sure they haven't been disastrously poor but they haven't been great either then things could see them drop out of the top six and that would be very disappointing from Blackburn's perspective when top two was looking like a real possibility not too long ago uh, QPR also for their second straight loss just in this time away to Millwall surprisingly another poor Rangers performance it was really poor. Um, the last two performances from QPR, arguably the worst two of the season, and you may have to go back to sort of the first half of the season last season to to go back to performance that was that was as bad. Um, and yes, it, yes, it's a really bad time for them to to be dropping out of form. Uh, and as I say, last two performances really bad. But I think the thing that worries me is that you had Willock and Chair in this game, and they were still unable to unlock a uh, a Millwall side who were very organised, they were very rigid in their in their structure and, and, and formation and hit QPR on the counter-attack a lot. Um, Millwall, yeah, 2-0 flattered QPR, I think. Um, they, they should have won by three or four if, yeah. if David Marshall wasn't in form. So that's the thing that worries me is they're conceding a lot of chances. Um, they've been conceding chances quite often over the last four weeks. David Marshall's been very um <laughs> very active, uh, well worth the well worth the signing in, in Dieng's absence. Um he's he's been earning, he, he's certainly been earning his money. Um but yeah I think yeah the the, the drop off defensively um has, has been an issue and obviously going forwards they've the chances have dried up in the last two games which is a major worry as well. Yeah it's not ideal when I think there's very little debate around who QPR's best player has been for the past few weeks, and it has been David Marshall, hasn't it? Which is uh, not ideal when you're aside aiming for the top two. Mark Warburton, after this game, called for calm, saying the players haven't become bad ones overnight and just need to get back to doing what they were doing before. That may very well be true, but QPR and Blackburn both dropping off is music to the ears of Bournemouth, isn't it? And I think they were in the driving seat anyway, Justin, after how they did in January window, but... Mm -hmm. Would you say Bournemouth have now got the seatbelt on as well? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Bournemouth are certainly in the driving seat. The two games in hand they've got certainly helps. Um, but I, I wouldn't rule Blackburn and QPR out just yet. I think 
Um, I do quite fancy them to, to run it very close to, to Bournemouth. <clears throat> You've only got to look at Bournemouth's runner games throughout March and April um, to make you think, OK, that's going to be a test. Because um, they've got some big games during that period and I think Blackburn and QPR could, could make up ground. But like we said with West Brom, time is short. Um, they need to get back into form very quickly to, for that to be the case. Let's give Millwall some praise, Justin. A lovely oh, yeah. team goal for their first. Very nice passing football, which does not often get associated with the Gary Rowett side or a Millwall side for that matter. Mason Bennett's got two goals in two now for the Wall. Um, Jed Wallace was at his mercurial best again, something we haven't seen often this season. Um, well, as often as we have seen in past ones anyway. And I think someone may very well be playing for a nice big move somewhere else when their contract expires <laughs> in the summer. But Millwall, two wins in two now. Look like they've improved a bit, don't they? Uh, sit 14th with this win. I'm just looking where they are in relation to the playoff battle. They're only six points off. I've played a game more than Middlesbrough. So not a million miles away, but I think even more fans will accept that. It's unlikely at this point, isn't it? Sheffield United are now unbeaten in seven games, but could only draw 0-0 with Hull. It shouldn't have been 0-0, really, because Sheffield United missed so many good chances in this game, Justin. But the sad fact of the matter is, only three shots on target. Yeah, I was flicking between this and the Cardiff game um, and managed to miss both uh, both of the Cardiff goals because I expected a grandstand finish <laughs> in this game. We nearly got it um, with, with Hull, actually. Um, but yeah, you're right. They were knocking on the door and at no point were they... Were they at no point did they put the handle on the door to open it. It was, it was one of those games that was... You sit watching it and you're just frustrated because I thought Hull were, were very good. They were very defiant and... Um, they will certainly take the point in the clean sheet and, and run very, very quickly with it back up to Humberside. It was that sort of game. But as you say, I don't think Sheffield United had enough to to win the game. Um, I thought that Bernie was, was, was quite poor. I thought mm. Billy Sharp, when he came on with his movement, asked a lot more questions of Hull's defence than, than McBurney did. But yeah, it was, a, it was a frustrating game from Sheffield United's perspective. And if you're Hull, you're very, very pleased. Yeah, it was quite apparent that Sheffield United were playing with a striker who had only scored one goal in his last two seasons. One league goal, that is, I should say. He sure looked like that was his runner form for the last two seasons. And I did feel a bit sorry for him watching this because the fact of the matter is they looked a much poorer side without Billy Sharp in the team, didn't they? He was being rested for this game. Personally, I'd have liked to see Daniel Jebison be given a go because he's an 18-year-old lad and he was scoring goals for fun in Burton Monty um, mm-hmm. before being recalled in January. He's regarded as one of the brightest young talents outside of the Premier League. So surely you'd give him a crack when Sharp needs a rest. He makes more sense than playing McBurney, doesn't it? Because the sad truth of of the matter is, as well as Sharp has played this season, he's not got long left in him, has he? And he's not going to last forever. So you may as well give youth a chance when you can, because you haven't got Brewster, you haven't got McGoldrick. Are you really going to leave the the you know the the mantle of scoring goals in the hands of Ollie McBurney when, as I say, he has only scored one goal in his one league goal in his last two seasons? So I know Sheffield United have got a lot of stake at this season, but Jebison can't do any worse than McBurney, can he? So I'm hoping he'll be given a run out in the near future because otherwise, what was the point in Sheffield United recalling him? Um, let's talk Hull hard fought points. For the Tigers, I, I, I never really know how to look at these games, Justin, when you're looking at it from the perspective of a side who have obviously 
been battered throughout the whole game and if the opposition had their shooting boots on then the result would have been very different but they have got points and I suppose you've just got to take your hat off to that. Yeah, they, they did concede a lot of chances but at the same time there was nothing massively clear cut. I think um, Ilium and Dai had a, had a chance where he uh, broke through from deep and, and, and Matt Ingram made a good save but there was nothing, um, nothing clear cut really and I think that goes down to Hull's organisation. The last two games they've been a lot better and I know there was questions asked of um, Shotara Valadzi over the weekend um, but I think the last two performances have, have reassured me that the foundations are being put in place by him um, and they are going to slowly improve. They just need to transition that into attack because they've looked very good defensively. They looked pretty decent on the counter-attack as well. I thought Keen Lewis-Potter again was was really good and Tom Eaves when he came on. There was a turn of Tom Eaves, there was a turn of pace from Tom Eaves that just left my jaw on the floor, by the way. <laughs> I've never seen a man, the size he is, run as quickly as he did. He outpaced pretty much the Sheffield United back line, it was incredible. Um, unfortunately, it didn't come to anything. Um, but still, that was a, a bright moment for me. And I think he needs to start in the next game. I've been surprised that he's been dropped by Arvaladze. But he, uh, for me, he needs to start because he adds a lot more in that Hull attack than the likes of Marcus Force at the moment. Um, and as, as well, it, it takes the pressure off Marcus Force, who hasn't had um, a good start to his, his loan spell so far. I don't think the tactics suit him from what I've seen of Hall so far. It just seems yeah. to be long ball over the top and he's just left chasing after it and must be absolutely knackered after doing it for <laughs> 20 minutes of a game because so many times the balls just get played over the top to him and he's got absolutely no hope of getting on the end of it. The final game for midweek was Cardiff 2, Coventry 0. Two second half goals for the Bluebirds. Saw them secure the three points here. It included a wonderful strike from young Joel Bagan. The first 10 minutes of this game, Cardiff were on fire. And then it became mm. more of a back and forth until the Bluebirds did get the breakthrough 20 minutes from time. Despite the win, the big talking point after the game from a Cardiff perspective was Max Waters being taken off after 37 minutes. The young striker was visibly disappointed by the decision. Steve Morrison said afterwards that he just wasn't playing well enough. Do you have any thoughts on this particular incident, Justin? I was surprised because Max Waters made two really good runs and forced two decent saves from the uh, Simon Moore in, in the Coventry goal but obviously out of possession was he doing enough there's, there's questions to be asked obviously Steve Morrison didn't think that was the case um, but at the same time you've, you've got to question Steve Morrison starting 11 he's got to admit that he probably got that wrong as well he should have started Hugo but um, alas we're here they got they got the win Hugo played a massive part in the, the second goal for his ball to Mark Harris uh, Mark Harris' finish was, was brilliant by the way almost as good as um, Joel Bagans um, but yeah, I don't have too much to to say on it. I think there will be there'll be a lot said behind behind the scenes, and um, the same thing happened to Isaac Davis not too long ago. And Isaac Davis has has reaped the rewards of it so far. Uh, you know, he's, he's really turned his form around. So hopefully, it does the same with Waters because there's a lot of potential there in him. I think it's one of them where it's a bit of a a lose-lose kind of situation for Steve Morrison. Mm. Maybe not a lose-lose. What I'm trying to say is, on one hand, Coventry got the win, didn't they? So, yeah. Coventry, Cardiff got the win, sorry. Um, so, it obviously worked, but on the other hand, you take the criticism for taking... It's just never good taking off a young player in the first half, is it, unless they're injured. If you waited eight more minutes, then nobody would be asking any questions. But when you mm. do take them off in the first half, then questions are always going to be asked. And 
it's just not good PR, is it? But as I say, you got the win here, so can people really complain too much? And hopefully, Waters will take this as you know a sign of encouragement, as opposed to um, you know taking it too downhearted. But um, we'll wait on see on that front. Justin, I've seen a lot of optimistic commentary fans saying they can still get the top six this season. Obviously, this result doesn't help too much, um, and they were obviously well in there a few months ago, weren't they? But they're now five mm. points off. Have got games in hand on some of the teams in or around there. How do you assess their chances? Um, it's, again, they're, they're a very difficult side to put your finger on sometimes because there are performances where they blow teams away but they don't quite pick up the win, essentially. Um, the Huddersfield game comes to mind where they battered Huddersfield uh, and they only had a draw to come away from it and there have been similar games since then. Um, so that tells me they're relying on players who aren't quite in form um, to be very polite about it, which isn't a bad thing. You know, Coventry are building... Um, they they are a side who earlier on in the season looked like they could they could be consistent enough to make the playoffs, but at the same time you've got games like this where they controlled the game with the ball but didn't create many chances from it. So it was a frustrating game from that from that point of view. And as I say, defensively looked a little bit vulnerable, especially with the ball in behind. Um, so that there are things to work on from Robbins. I don't think they can reach the playoffs, um, but at the same time, wouldn't rule it out either because for one thing it's a championship in. The second thing, Coventry, if they get a run going, have shown that they can they can be very good and consistent. Yeah, I think I, at this point I'd be surprised if there's any side outside of the top nine who who get into the top six at this point. I think Coventry are kind of in a bracket alongside the likes of Luton and probably Huddersfield as well, even though they are sat fifth at the moment, where the only way they'd get into the playoffs now is if they go on a remarkable run of games for the final 15 or 16 games mm. of the season, depending on how many games you've got left. Um, Coventry are definitely capable of that. They were absolutely fantastic, weren't they, in the first um, quarter of the season? But they have dropped off and other teams have jumped ahead of them in the queue. So unless they pull off something miraculous now in the remainder of the season, then I'd say it's unlikely. But you have got to keep in mind, this has been a fantastic season for Coventry City oh, yeah. considered they were just looking to stay up last season um, this season has been a remarkable progression season hasn't it? and you can only look ahead to the future and say it's positive um, but top six this season I'd say is very unlikely at this point Justin let's have a break after that we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off the Craig Bryson pub quiz Hello there guys, it's Ryan. I'm just checking in to tell you about the Second Tier Betting Show, which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the Championship each weekend. We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time, with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games, so if you enjoy having a flutter on the Championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Sky Sports says there's increasing optimism at Derby that a preferred bidder will be named by the end of the month. It's very unlikely any new owners will be in place by then, however. Derby need to provide proof of funds to see out the season by the end of the month. Um, it's all looking quite good 
for Derby all of a sudden, isn't it, Justin? I, I just the fact that it's unlikely um, new owners will be in place by the end of the month, considering we have only got what less than two weeks for that to be sorted now. Um, do you reckon that'll be too much of an issue, or do you reckon the EFL will be quite lenient? Um, I think the the EFL will be quite lenient. I mean, I'd hope so anyway, because of how things have transpired over the last um, month anyway. The EFL hasn't done a great job of managing the situation. Um, so I think if the, the administrators can get a preferred bidder named uh, by, by the end of the month, the EFL will say, OK, that's fine. Um, proof of funds is there, because obviously the, the preferred bidder will then fund the club. That's what I've read anyway, until the end of the season, um, or loan the club, shall we say. Um, and then the AFL will, will, will give, it, give it the thumbs up and then it's up to the the lawyers to thrash out the deal, which I don't think would be too difficult because Derby are a club needing a buyer. Who, who do you reckon it'll be out of interest? You, you haven't got any inside knowledge unless I've really missed something. Um, do you reckon it will be Mr Ashley? Um, well, I, I tell you, Mike Ashley is my, my best friend. So there you go. There's a sort <laughs> of... texting out. Um, so often, <laughs> yeah. Are you buying Derby? Um, yeah. I, logically, Mike actually makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's he's got the money, he's got the the know how, he's got the experience with businesses that are failing. Um, that that would make sense. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, the binnies in charge because obviously they've put the bid in. They've they've f- submitted a bid. No other um, bidder per se has. Um, uh, but the Appleby bid as as well as is relying on outside investment, which is very difficult to do. I'm not an investor, but you've got to ask people for money, essentially, which I'm tight. I don't like giving money away, so I imagine rich people are exactly the same. You definitely are. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, my cash definitely makes sense. Yeah. I, I, If you ask me now, if I was a betting man and it was something you could bet on, I would say my cash is going to be the person who I think it will be, just because he has got form for that. Um, he's a very wealthy man, isn't he? And he's got form in the past, as you say, for getting companies out of perilous situations. And Derby are certainly in a perilous situation right now. And I think it makes sense for all parties as well. Mike Ashley, he needs Derby to be back in the Premier League for him to be turning a regular profit. So it makes sense for him. Makes sense for the fans because they'll be happy just to be back in the Premier League at this point. Um, I mean, not too long, a few weeks ago, they've been happy to have a football club to support. Um, So the idea of being back in the Premier League as well would just be they'll be over the moon with that so yeah I think Mike Ashley makes perfect sense the others um, I don't know as much about because Mike Ashley is obviously a very high profile man um, but they don't seem to be as wealthy and considering Ashley has got he ticks a lot of boxes I think it will most likely be him but we shall wait and see because we should hopefully have an an answer in the next couple of weeks shouldn't we Justin Um, a programme has been launched to improve the diversity and standard of refereeing across the highest levels of English football The Athletic says the elite refereeing development plan is aiming to establish a new global standard in match officiating performance and development Justin uh, here at the second tier we complain about refereeing quite a lot in the the championship don't we so I think this is welcome news what what would you say has to change to improve the standard of refereeing in English football it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I, I tweeted about it and I, I, I do think that there's a lot of barriers in place. I think firstly, the abuse you get as an up-and-coming referee on the sidelines because every referee starts in their under-10s league on a Saturday morning. And I can say 
with confidence. I've been in that position. I I was a qualified referee at one point, and I stepped away because it wasn't it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. Um, you just get yelled at all the time, and it's not nice. And it's the same on a on a Sunday morning. I think we're all guilty of it when we play. We get a bit frustrated with with decisions that go against you. Um, uh, and again, referees that are looking to progress through the ranks, um, again might might be put off by that financially. Is there an incentive there for people to to take it up? I don't think there is. I think it's. I think that on a Sunday morning we pay referees thirty pounds, for example. It's thirty pounds for what? Come on, it's it's not the best weather in the UK, and you essentially go there potentially to get shouted at. So I think investing in grassroots and um, or almost subsidising um, referees uh, and giving them a, a clear pathway to, to to climb through the ranks. Um, is essential and making it full-time in the lower leagues I don't think officials are full-time in leagues one and two um, but I think you will increase the quality coming through the ranks if you do make it full-time but that comes that comes with added money as well which I'm sure clubs will be reluctant to pay but I think that you, you do get a lot more from that in, in the sense that you get better qualified officials better trained officials um, and better quality officials. Yeah, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because I, I completely agree with what you say. If you get paid more, then you will have more people who are interested in refereeing and then you'll have a bigger talent pool to choose mm-hmm. the best referees from, won't you? I, I also hear what you say about how referees turn up on a Sunday morning and just get abused for 90 minutes. I, I think we've got two mutual friends, haven't we, who have been referees and I know one mm-hmm. of them got attacked. Um, I think yeah. the other one may have been attacked, actually, for that matter. So... That says a lot about how awful it is being a referee at Sunday league level because what what's the incentive really? It's yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine it's particularly fun um, and you don't get paid that much either. So it does make sense to get paid more. Um, whether that's realistic, I'm not too sure because you've got to remember there are a lot of football games that happen every Sunday, every Saturday um, and you need as many referees as possible. But I doubt there are that many referees to officiate all those games so yeah it is a tricky one but I suppose the obvious answer is to pay them more but how realistic is that um let's move on Reading have signed former Man City and Preston winger Brandon Barker on a deal until the end of the season he's been a free agent after leaving Rangers last month the long-running row over the sale of the Coventry Building Society arena is over after Coventry City ended their legal proceedings against the deal So this is very confusing. Coventry's owners had appealed to the European Commission after the Supreme Court ruled the sale of the stadium to rugby club Wasps in 2014 was lawful. Coventry had argued the City Council had undervalued the ground by £27 million, but the EU Commission closed the case. And after talks with the University of Warwick, owners of the land the Sky Blues hope to build a new stadium on, the club have officially put an end to their pursuit against the deal to sell the CBS stadium. So... In a nutshell, and I hope I've got this right, Coventry City were annoyed at the council for selling the stadium to the rugby club, um, but now they don't care. Because um, so, <laughs> they're building their own stadium, but Coventry have got um, the CBS Arena for the next 10 seasons. So mm-hmm. we'll leave that there. It's It's been a very confusing and long-running saga, and thankfully it seems to have come to an end. Swansea fans are the latest set of supporters to show their disapproval of how the club is being run. Two and a half thousand have signed a petition calling for them to leave, the owners that is, saying the lack of ambition and investment has been unacceptable. There seems to be a lot of clubs, Justin, at the moment in the Championship who are very annoyed about how their club is being run. Do you have sympathy with the supporters? Um, 
with, what with Swansea supporters or supporters in general? Supporters in general and Swansea to a lesser extent. Yeah, I think there there are two sides of the coin here. You've got the likes of Reading, Birmingham, and Derby, where the clubs have been running to the ground, um, not through lack of ambition. There's been ambition; it's just been placed in the wrong hands, um, and they've and they've thrown they've thrown money away essentially, and now they find themselves in in dire situations. Swansea's a little bit different. There is a lack of ambition, um, a massive lack of ambition, uh, and, and clearly the you know what what are what are the what are the plans in place from the US owners to to make the club I don't know profitable or um, competitive because at the moment it's it's they're not looking like a team that are, are, are willing to make that step that is needed to make the step. You look at what Steve Cooper's getting out of Forest. He's been backed by the owners at Forest and he's added players. They spent money on players. They, they've added players into that team and they, and they look a lot better under Steve Cooper or Swansea. I say all Swansea needed to do was was back Steve Cooper, but if they'd have backed Steve Cooper, you know he wouldn't have been talking to other clubs. He'd probably still be in place now, and Swansea might even be a Premier League club. There are a lot of if buts and maybes, but this Swansea board is not very ambitious, and I think I do have sympathy with supporters, but at the same time, you've got to take it into context as well. And finally, Cardiff striker Isaac Vassell may have played his last game for the club because of more injury problems. He's not played for them since August 2019. He only returned to first-team training last week after numerous injuries, but he's now suffered another setback, which means he's likely to be ruled out for the rest of the season, and his contract is set to expire this summer. Isaac Vassell's one of those players who I completely forgot was still playing at championship level, um, and it's a real shame how his career has panned out because playing you know, nearly three years now without playing a league game for your club it's just heartbreaking as a footballer isn't it? it's not what you sign up for so mm. yeah really massive shame for him actually there is one last bit of news the Athletic says the Jamaican national team is looking to poach Jed Spence from England um, which I found very interesting Justin mm. the, the thing is what we always say about right backs because England seem to be unbelievable at producing right backs at the moment how many? How much of a chance is Jed Spence actually going to get with the English national team, considering he's got Trent Alexander-Arnold and Rhys James ahead of him? So, I wouldn't particularly blame him if he did go to the Jamaican national team. Yeah, it's a chance to play international football, isn't it? Um, so I don't see, I don't see why not. And as you say, his pathway into the England team is is blocked by world class players. No disrespect to Jed Spence, but he's had one really good season at championship level so far. If he does that over three or four years, he might get a chance. But at that point, the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Rhys James will be even more world-class, to say to say the least. Yeah, I, I think he may very well get a chance at some point if he did decide to stick with England. But I, you'd struggle to see him get more than 10 caps, wouldn't you? And it is worth saying the Jamaican national team right now is looking quite handy yeah because they went on a massive spree of recruiting players and have now got a very handy national team so you'd say if he did decide to play for Jamaica he probably would play at a World Cup at some point wouldn't he whereas Mm. that's probably more than unlikely with an England side who have got so many very good right backs right now so it'll be sad to see him go but at the same time I wouldn't be able to blame him right now it's time for this all right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I'm going to give Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. The score is 10-7 to myself for the season. Justin can close the gap to two points 
with a with a win today. So no pressure, Peachy boy. Um, do you want the first clue? Yeah, come on, let's go. I've made two hundred and three championship appearances, scoring thirteen goals. <laughs> you are such a dick. <laughs> two hundred and three championship appearances, scoring thirteen goals. That is a centre half. I'm going with Wes Morgan. It's not Wes Morgan. Good to mention that. I began my career in 2002 for Hensford Town, Hednesford Town, Hensford, Hednesford. It's in Staffordshire. Staffordshire. I thought it was near Watford. Um, uh, Hemel Hempstead. Yeah, <laughs> Hemel Hednesford. Um, uh, Staffordshire. So we're looking at the likes of Stoke, Birmingham. Um, mm. uh, I probably would have said Ryan Shotton, um, but he, he came up recently, so it's definitely not him. Uh, next clue. I've played for three clubs at championship level, including Bristol City and Stoke. Mm. Mm. Marvin Elliott? Did he play for Stoke? I don't think he did. It's not Marvin Elliott. Um, this is a bit of a clue in itself, but if you haven't realised already, when I say three clubs at championship level and I miss out a club, that usually means he's been quite prominent for another club. So just leaving that there. Um, I've made, for a clue this is, I've made more appearances at Premier League level than championship level. Brilliant. Thanks for that in-depth <laughs> insight into this mystery I can't player. give it away too much. I've made more appearances in the Premier League than the Championship. Oh, what a clue. <laughs> it's clearly not someone like Marvin Elliott, is it? Sorry. I didn't have that information that I do now, do I? A bad workman always blames his tools. You sound like Michael Caine then in Batman. Um, you've, bad you've, workman I've lost always blames his tools. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've... Completely derailed me. Um, <laughs> made more Premier League. No, made more Premier League appearances than in Championship. He's made two hundred Championship appearances. I'm going to go with. Um, I don't know. They, these clues are t- terrible. Next clue. Next clue. Yeah. I've got eighty six caps for Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Peters' pupils have just widened so much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Bristol City, Ashley Williams. Damn it. Oh. It is Ashley Williams. You are, you are such an arse, honestly. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the final Bristol clue City. was, the final uh, clue yeah, was yeah. I was also named in the EFL Team of the Decade in 2015. I wouldn't have got that. Asher Williams. I'd, yeah, I wouldn't have got that. I definitely wouldn't have got that. That that was he played, he played for Stockport as well, didn't he? Yeah, he went to he went from Hens is it Hensford? I don't know Hensford Town to Stockport, then Swansea, then he had a spell at Everton as well, didn't he? But I left he that did. out because I thought you might get that. Um, and then he went to Stoke for an unremarkable season and a Bristol City where he, he was all right. Did a job, didn't he? Do you know the ridiculous thing is? If you'd have said Stockport, I'd have, I'd have got it quite mm. quickly. 
Yeah, because you, you've got some weird FM knowledge from the mid-2000s, yeah. so I've got to be wary about that every time I make clues, because <laughs> if you ask Justin Peach, who the most random player on earth was playing for in 2006, he'd be able to tell you straight away. His encyclopedic knowledge of the lower leagues of English football around that time is uh, ridiculous. Uh, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Second Tier Podcast wrapped up. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games in the Championship. Some massive, massive games as we head towards the business end of the season. We don't ask you to do this very often, listener, but if you could just leave a review and a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, then we'd be very grateful for that. And it takes a couple of moments of your time, um, but it goes a long way to helping us grow as a podcast. If we are being honest, we have had a couple of negative reviews recently from people who have just simply disagreed with a point we've made on various different sub- different subjects. Um, I, I I, I will be honest, I doubt they actually listen to the podcast, but they just see a clip that we put on Twitter. Um if you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, then you know that we put in a lot of hard work into this show. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you just take a moment of your time to just give us a review. Because, um, as I say, it helps us grow massively. Uh, there we go. The second tier podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. <laughs>